Hello and welcome to the B-Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Uh, I am recording the poll list for the last two weeks. Um, My apologies for missing last week. Uh, As I've said in other shows, my wife and I had to put our uh, 18-year-old cat to sleep last weekend and we were very, very sad for a few days and I really just didn't feel like reading anything, so I didn't. Um, So I'm going to start with, I apologize, I'm probably going to be recording this one in parts, so if the, if the uh, breaks seem inherently unnatural, that's because I'm trying to do this in like 20 minute increments for a while, uh, as I'm recording this in my office cafeteria, and no one else is in here right now. So um, let's start with Amazing Spider-Man 68, written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson. With art by Marcelo Ferreira, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos. This is the next part of the chameleon thing that uh, Amazing Spider-Man is currently doing. Um, I'm going to try to make some of these kind of short. There's a lot of transitional issues in here. The, the Hellfire Gala stuff is pretty light. I mean, there's a lot of them, but not a lot actually happens on most, in most of them. So I'm just going to kind of blow through a lot of things here. Um, so... Peter's sister goes and meets with the chameleon. He makes her some sort of offer, unclear where that's going to go. Um, you find out how Ned Leeds survived the whole thing after he shows up last issue after being dead for however long he was dead for. It was probably like 30 years, maybe 40. <laughs> um, basically turns out that in the 1980s, he, he was the hobgoblin as we as anyone who's read that stuff would know. And um, he did actually uh, consume a large amount of, of uh, Norman Osborn's goblin formula. So when he appeared to die in, I'm pretty sure it was that Spider-Man versus Wolverine one-off or miniseries or whatever that was, um, when he appeared to die there, it basically had the same end result as the uh, Norman's resurrection at the end of... Um, the clone saga where he appeared to die but then his physical system was like slowed to the point of near death but he just regenerated over however many years it was so uh, there's that and then the other aspect of this was um, Peter figuring out that the foreigner is after that clairvoyant device the the thing that gives you um that can like predict the future and stuff but was created by his lab partner at Empire State University. So he goes to try to stop the foreigners dudes from getting to that kid and that's kind of where it ends. Um, it also has a, a cut into that Sinister War thing where uh, Dr. Octopus is recruiting the Sandman to join his Sinister Six which I assume we will see that fairly soon uh, for reasons that I'm going to get into right now. Uh, Marvel announced this week that uh, Nick Spencer's run on Amazing Spider-Man will end with issue 74, um, which will have an 80-page page count. Um, and I'm sure with the way Marvel does things now, will cost you $17.99 and your left kidney. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm interested to see how... Spencer's run ends has actually been pretty solid in my book. Um, probably not on the level of the slot run, although some of it was, because uh, some of the slot's run wasn't that great. It was just really long. Um, so what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to save the Hellfire Gala stuff for last and just kind of blow through it um, and just like point out the stuff that was worthwhile in each particular one. Uh, next up we have, let's see... Uh, Detective Comics 1037, written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by, was it Victor Bogdanovich? Um, not someone I've ever heard of, but, you know, the guy could have worked for DC for a good couple of years and I might not have noticed. Um, so this is more of that, basically Bruce Wayne's under investigation for murder because somebody believes that the the string of young women who had been murdered in Gotham recently were murdered by him. So he uh, gets arrested by the cops. Uh, Huntress tries to get him out of it. Uh, he refuses that. And then 
uh, Sarah Worth's father blows up the police station because he wants to kill Bruce Wayne with his bare hands. They go charging off into the sewer, and uh, there's a, a small fight which will probably lead into the next issue, most likely, where they will, where that issue will probably be more of that. Um, so far, haven't been terribly impressed with uh, Detective up to this point with Tamaki writing. Uh, Josh, I know, doesn't like her that much. Uh, this is probably my first exposure to her work. And, I mean, it's not terrible. It's just not, you know, I don't know. I guess I just need more than Batman being accused of killing some women. I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like superhero-y enough for me. I'm not sure. Um, and then we have uh, Fantastic Four... 33, which is the second part of this Bride of Doom thing, written by Dan Slott, with art by R.B. Silva and Luca Maresca. Um, basically, this is the actual wedding. Uh, the Fantastic Four is there. Namor is there. The Black Panther is there. So, the wedding starts, and then uh, we know from previous issues that Doom's Bride has slept with Johnny Storm already. <laughs> this happened last issue, I believe. And, uh, again, we're going to go really short here because there's just not a lot of, you know, before this, there's some back and forth with Namor and the Panther and stuff. And uh, what I don't understand is, like, and this is one of those cases, I think, of the, the different writers of these different books not coordinating at all, but um, Namor's been written like a straight-up villain in Aaron's run for the last couple months now. And it just it seems funny to me that he goes to this event in Latveria, and, like, there's other heroes there, and no one says, hey, what have you been giving the Avengers all this shit for? <laughs> um, and they, everyone just kind of seems to, especially since Black Panther is on that Avengers team, like, I'm, I don't understand why he's not pulling Namor aside and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but anyway, maybe they just, you know, Slot said he wanted to use him, and then they were like, yeah, but don't go near any of this, because <laughs> uh, that's Aaron's stuff, don't go near any of that. Um, but, so the wedding ceremony starts, and then, uh, Victorious Doom's Bride makes, that, makes the decision in that moment to unburden herself to Doom about sleeping with Johnny, which pisses Doom off and breaks up the entire wedding, and he goes to attack the Fantastic Four, particularly Johnny, I'm guessing, wants to smack him around, um, and it ends right there, and we'll obviously see where that goes from from now. Um, next up, we're going to duck into DC again with uh, Flash 771, written by Jeremy Adams, art by Kevin McGuire, Howard Porter, uh, Barat Pekmezi, whoever that is, Brian Hitch, Max Rayner, Scott Collins, Tom Darinick, Fernando Pissarin, Eau Claire Albert and Brandon Peterson. Wow, that's a lot of artists. Holy shit. Um, this continues uh, Wally's whole thing of going through the Speed Force, like Quantum Leap style, and having his mind deposited in different speedsters. This one kind of broke me a little bit because uh, Wally goes into, somehow crosses universes, I guess, and goes into the body of animated reverse flash from the super friends um so this is you know this was i enjoyed it but it's completely whacked like it starts out and reverse flash has killed superman and they're debating whether to the legion of doom is debating whether to make him a member and stuff and it was funny i just feel like i hadn't seen any of the super super friends stuff in years and maybe if there are references in here that uh I missed because I haven't seen that show in probably, I don't know, 35 years almost. Um, so it was cute. I mean, I, uh, you know, other issues of this have been better for me than, than this one was. I feel like this was, this kind of read to me like, let's do this, do this thing just because we can. It'll make no sense and it'll be funny. Um, and it succeeds in doing that. I just 
it's kind of a quick read inherently because it's, they're trying to keep it simple, um, as a children's show probably would. <laughs> so, um, fun for that, but I'm not sure this would hold up much going forward. Uh, and it looks like the next one is going to be, uh, Wally back in his own body, but in an earlier time frame, looks like right after the events of Heroes and the main events of Heroes in Crisis, which might have might as well have been subtitled "Wally West is a Mass Murderer," um, so maybe this will deal with that in a way that nothing else really has since it took place. Like, you know, Wally was supposedly put in jail for it, but then he ended up becoming like a cosmic super being for a while, so it sort of got blown over in that sense. Um, and next up, we have Heroes Reborn 6 and 7. Um, this has been a weekly event, so I have two of these now. Um, I'm just going to run off the artist real quick, if I can find that page in here. Um, whoops. Let's see. Come on, tablet. Uh, okay. So, um, 6 has art by Jason Aaron... I'm sorry, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Erica Durso and Ed McGinnis. Um, this one is all about Power Princess, who is, I assume, the Wonder Woman rip on the Squadron, if the Squadron are, you know, meant to be the Marvel equivalent of the Justice League, then Power Princess is the Wonder Woman. So this is all about how uh, sets up her origin in this kind of tweaked universe, um, shows that she has basically gone through and dealt with all the, like, supernatural and magical threats that the Avengers and Strange and even, like, Null from all the King and Black crap. Um, and basically, <laughs> Thor has his memories back and remembers the real world, and he shows up. She goes to the, you know, bombed-out Asgard, where I guess she killed everybody or, or couldn't prevent all the Asgardians from being killed or some such. And uh, then she fights Thor, and they kind of fight to a standstill. And then you cut to issue seven, which... Sorry about that. Really had to go to the bathroom. Uh, which leads to Heroes Reborn number seven, uh, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Aaron Cooter and Ed McGinnis. Uh... This issue is basically uh, the Squadron Supreme sitting around a table talking about, I don't know, I keep hearing stuff about these Avengers people. Is this legitimate? What's going on here? Oh my god. <laughs> and then you find out in the course of this that this whole reality was created because Phil Coulson made a deal with Mephisto and uh, created this world with something called the Pandemonium Cube. Um... And this will lead to, they're doing an unofficial eighth issue of this thing called Heroes Return, where they're going to fight the Aaron Avengers, I guess, to get reality back to the way it was. This whole thing has ended up being really, really stupid to me, and nothing more than a waste of time, um, where it seems like the only reason they even did this was because... Marvel went to Jason Aaron and said, hey, we need to take a two-month break from regular publication of this line. Can you whip something up that we can use in that spot? Um, I feel like when the Heroes Return issue hits, this is going to go nowhere, um, or nothing from this is going to matter. Uh, I think the thing that they're missing, if they wanted to try to do something close to what Heroes Reborn actually was, which I don't think they do, but the reason why this annoyed me was, you know, <laughs> Heroes Reborn played out over, like, 12 to 15 months. I know there were some delays in there because the image guys were really slow. Um, but this was a essentially a weekly event for seven weeks, and you're supposed to feel like... I think they want you to feel the absence of the Avengers characters, but it's so rushed and plays out over such a compressed time frame that you can't really do that. And then, like, there's going to be this big brawl between 
the Avengers, who haven't been gone long enough for you to miss them, and the Squadron Supreme, who haven't been developed enough for you to care about. Uh, so I just don't see what the point of this was. Um, and I normally like Aaron's work quite a bit, so I was uh, oddly put out, put off by this thing, because uh, I figured this would be up to his normal uh, quality level, and it is not. Um, it was actually quite poor. Uh, so I don't know what the thought process was with this. Um, I would, that's something actually, if I could sit down with Marvel people, I would love to know what they were thinking about when this thing was done. Okay, so one more week of this, I think, and then we'll get our, most of our regular Avengers books back. I will not have to care about this thing ever again. Uh, next up we have Iron Man number nine, written by Christopher Cantwell, with art by Cafu. I'm still not sure whether Cafu is a person or a group or whatever. Um, this whole issue is from the perspective of Korvac, who goes to some uh, planet and finds Jim Hammond, the original 1940s Human Torch, who is an android. If you don't know that, he was an android created in the 1940s by a Dr. Phineas Horton. Um, I believe this is referenced in, uh, or background referenced in, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, when they go to the World's Fair, seeing there's like a dude and a, there's like a mannequin or, or a, like a weird looking guy in a tube that I believe is supposed to be, uh, the Human Torch. They don't call it that, obviously, because I'm sure Fox at that point had that name licensed, um... So he goes to, uh, he goes to Hammond and basically recruits him for his little army of villains and stuff because Tony Stark, like, screwed him over and, and put him in, like, an Iron Man body and Hammond was kind of pissed about this. So, um, so... Uh, Korvac fixes that and gives him, like, his regular body back. And, uh, it looks for the course of the issue that Hammond's gonna side with Korvac because he just dislikes Tony that much. Um, I won't say whether he does or not, and I'll come into, uh, next month's review when this comes out again. Um, so, yay. Uh... Next up we have, I'm just going to, this will be the last one I do for right now. I have to go back to work in a minute. Um, the Joker, number four, written by James Tinney and the Fourth, with art by Guillaume March. Uh, this picks up from last month with the female Bane showing up to, I believe it was Costa Rica, where the Joker's hanging out with uh, Jim Gordon and... Uh, they avoid getting caught by this female Bane person. I believe she goes by Conquest, but I could be wrong about that. It's been a couple months since this character was introduced. Uh, so they escape that, and um, Gordon's just debating whether he should just shoot the Joker right there. Like, what purpose does this have in, like, leaving him alive? And then Joker says, yeah, but I didn't... I didn't do that attack on on Arkham Asylum, and he actually makes a pretty good argument of like, if you if I was gonna do that, don't you think it would have been more inventive than like just blowing the thing up? <laughs> don't you think I would have done something far more complicated than just that? Um, so yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm honestly not super impressed with this, and I'm not sure you know. I think when I started buying this, I thought it was going to be more tied into the the bat stuff directly, but it just seems like a a side thing um, to keep. I guess they thought Joker was worth a solo book, but it's not really that. It's really a Jim Gordon solo book that they don't call that because I don't think anyone would buy it if it wasn't. If it was a Jim Gordon solo book, I think it would sell maybe zero. 
Um, so I can see why they didn't do that, I suppose. But if you're going to do this, I'm not sure why you bother. Because um, this in itself is nothing special, really. Um, basically, Joker leaves Gordon tied to a chair. Uh, he, you know... They have a whole dialogue about it. Well, I, I didn't do the Arkham thing, and you're chasing me for nothing. And uh, he ends up leaving Gordon tied to a chair where he is freed by the female Bane person. And uh, so he's starting over from square one with this whole finding the Joker thing. Um, and I assume what will be issue five. I think this is an ongoing. I don't know how much longer you can sustain this thing, but they're gonna try. <laughs> um, and at this point, I'm actually more just reading it out of morbid curiosity to see where it ends up. Because I'm not, from issue to issue, this is not really holding my interest much. So I can't say that I'm, you know, I'm. this is something I may even drop uh, before it ends, even though I'm generally a completist with these kind of things. I will... <laughs> I will continue reading things even to a point where I don't even really like them anymore, but I'm still reading them out of some sort of compulsion to have a complete series and whatever. Uh, this is how I know I'm no longer allowed to give Josh crap about wasting time playing video games he says he hates, but continues to play them anyway, because I do the same thing with comic books. I read every everything I buy, and once I buy something I feel like I'm hooked into it, and we'll continue to read it even if I think it's terrible. This isn't quite at that point, but I'm not really enjoying it all that much. As I said, this is something I'm actually, I enjoy it so little, I am actually uh, considering dropping it, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, I have about five or six reviews left, and I've got to go back to work, so I will be recording those at a later date, but probably not probably later today because I do want to get this up um so okay I'll see you again in a little bit welcome back part two uh about nine hours after I was recording the first section there um so let's go right back into uh Miles Morales Spider-Man number 27 written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Carmen Carnero uh, this continues Miles' clone saga. When last we left this book, Miles is captured by the the group of clones. Um, the one that resembles him most directly, uh, Salim. And then you have the the big one, the big kind of dopey one that's kind of probably modeled after Spider-Side somewhat, uh, called Shift. And then you have the one with the forearms coming out of its back, and the mental power is called, uh, I believe it was Mind Spinner. So, um, Salim and Mind Spinner go to the hospital where Miles' mom works. They're trying to kill her. And, um, Miles breaks out of the web trap they have him in, and uh, convinces Shift, who, as I said earlier, is kind of stupid, uh, not to attack him and just let him go uh, save his mom. So, that he goes to do that and manages to do that and the two evil ones escape and he assumes the next place they're going is to uh, his home where his father and uh, infant sister are located and he basically gets there and they haven't arrived yet I don't think doesn't seem like it and then the issue just kind of ends which was a little strange but whatever um, solid I've always thought Miles is fairly well written in most incarnations um this is just more of that um it has been you know i think some of the the post secret war stuff hasn't been as good as the ultimate universe stuff is just because they have to try to fit him into an existing universe rather than the ultimate universe which he was mostly at the center of um during that time uh once Ultimate Peter Parker died. He sort of became the central character of that whole thing. Um, and here he's clearly, you know, as much of a, as much as I like the character, and I would think he must have a decent fan base in order to get as many 
solo series as he has now, um, it just kind of feels sort of secondary to Peter Parker, I guess, even though they're, the book is doing everything it possibly can to differentiate them and kind of separate them, even though Peter did show up for a little bit in this story, I think, um, in the very beginning. So, um, solid. I definitely think this is not going to go on forever like the 90s one did. It probably, my guess is it'll be over by issue 30. Um, so, yeah, good read there. Uh, next up we have Nightwing 81, written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. Uh, this actually has Dick's first direct confrontation with the villain Heartless, who's been uh, killing people in Bloodhaven. Um, and so they fight each other, and uh, Dick takes a, a shot to the head and kind of passes out immediately and has, like, concussion symptoms and stuff. Um, and they actually do reference uh, the previous Rebirth arc where, you know, the whole thing where he got shot in the head and lost his memory and whatever and became the cab driver for a while. Um, so it appears that will continue to have effects on this character going forward. Um, and then you find out that the, the I believe it was Melinda Zuko character who is, has become mayor in Bloodhaven has a run-in with Dick and you find out that she is actually his sister. Um, I think her is a half sister thing. I think her father was Dick's father. Um, so obviously we'll see where that goes. There's a little bit of, uh, Tim Drake Robin in here. He helps out during the, the big fight in there. Some, there's some, Batgirl slash Oracle in here, which is kind of nice to see that Dick is still kind of keeping his ties to the Bat family after all that stuff with the lost memory and all that. It would probably would have been very easy to continue to keep him separate from all that. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that they're clearly trying to reintegrate him into that somewhat. Um, our last non-X-Men book, well, I guess I should do no. Well, okay, our last non-X-Men Marvel book is Venom 200, uh, written by Donnie Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. Um, this basically is kind of all the wrap-up to King and Black and all those kind of things. Um, Eddie is now the symbiote god, and uh, he basically has the ability to like physically connect to a giant hive, and he can con control symbiotes and kind of drive them from anywhere from anywhere in the universe, basically. Um, and he's using most of those symbiotes to go and repair the planets and areas that Null's attempt at war had d destroyed or damaged. Um, you also find out that uh, one of the side effects of prolonged use of this hive, which it, you're given the sense that he's been doing this for quite a while since the, the King and Black thing ended, um, he's sort of like, prematurely aged he suddenly looks like he's 55 as opposed to you know in the previous arc i mean and for pretty much the life of the, of the venom character except for that period where he had cancer um he's been built like a 25 year old linebacker you know and suddenly he's like this kind of hunched over guy who looks like he's probably in his 50s um there's reason for that i think um as to why they would do that uh, you also find out that Flash Thompson is once again among the living. Um, apparently he was, you know, he showed up in the Venom tie-ins to King and Black, but, and, you know, he helped Eddie out on, like, the, the, what I refer to as the symbiote heaven plane that they were on for a while. I did not realize that that would lead to him being resurrected on regular Earth. If they stuck a reference to that in King and Black somewhere, I missed it entirely. Um, but that is an interesting idea. Maybe um, he's obviously anti-Venom now, rather than, you know, because Eddie's got the the regular symbiote back. But he's been, he's been anti-Venom for a little while, anyway. Uh, when he died, actually, in Amazing Spider-Man 800, I believe that's the, the name he was going by. It was the white symbiote thing that Brock had also had in the past. Um, so maybe they'll give him a, give him a solo book out of that. 
somehow because I think the the Remender run with him as Venom was pretty popular, so maybe they'll they'll do that. I also know that um, I don't plan on reading this, but that Extreme Carnage thing is coming. That series of one shots, and I'm wondering if he's going to appear in that somehow. Um, and in other news, in this issue, and the last big aspect of this is that um, Eddie isn't really Venom anymore because he's too busy doing all the God stuff. So um, he has Venom, Venom following his kid around in the form of something that looks like a dog, which he's been doing. The book's been doing that for a while now. Um, but the kid comes across uh, somebody being mugged or something, and he basically, Dylan, becomes the new Venom um, and uh, decides that he's going to continue to do that and fight crime and stuff. Uh, in a nod, what I have to, be, have to assume is a nod to 90s comics, uh, the kid decides that instead of uh, webs, he's going to have the symbiote make chains whenever he has to has to swing around anywhere. So he's going to be swinging on chains and shit because I guess if you're a kid and retro stuff and like I'm just picturing Ghost Rider whipping chains around in the 1990s or something. But, you know, cool little stylistic difference, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, and our last non-X book of the, of the week, uh, Radiant Black Number 5, written by Kyle Higgins, with art by, I know this one had a different artist, hold on, let me pull that up real quick, um, by art by Eduardo Ferragato and Marcelo Costa. Marcelo Costa, I believe, being the regular artist on this. So, if you've been reading this, this is an image book, and I don't normally go outside of the big two very often, um, but Justin recommended this after a couple issues had come out, so I was interested, and uh, this has been pretty good, I'm not going to lie. Um, so this issue starts with um, the thing that I don't think I spoiled that much in the last, last time we did this, because I figured it was one of those uh, invincible Omni-Man type twist ending, so I didn't want to wreck it for people, but, uh, turns out that the original, um, the original Radiant Black guy, Nathan something or other, uh, appears to die after a building is dropped on him when he doesn't have the, the suit on, and, um, his buddy Marshall, who's, like, way more into the superhero crap than he is, uh, takes the suit gets the suit after him and um you're supposed to at the at the end of the last issue it appeared that that Nathan was dead um but you find out very quickly in here that he survived somehow but that he might be brain dead so Marshall's all pissed and he goes after the the red radiant who's the one that took the building down and so they have a fight where Marshall is you know understandably pissed as his best friend is a vegetable now. Um, and then, you know, the fight goes on for some time and then two other, uh, radiants show up out of nowhere that are like yellow and purple. And, uh, they're trying like, and obviously they don't, none of these people know each other and they're trying to like, be like, who the hell are you? And what, what are you doing? And uh, one of them says, I tried to stop him, I used everything I could think of, and uh, it didn't really do that much. So then at the very end, you see what I assume is going to end up being either the big villain of this series, or at least the big villain of the beginning of it. Um, and that's kind of how it ends. This this book is very simple in its storytelling, but not in a way that's like pandering, or, you know, it just, you know, I think... It's trying to set up a universe here, or at least a an immediate world that, like, doesn't have to have, you know, it's not like a Marvel or a DC thing that, like, every little thing that gets referenced could be tied into something else in some other book or some other line or whatever. Some, in some ways, something like this is way more straightforward with that kind of thing. Um, and I'm enjoying this. I, like I said, my, my interest in stuff outside of the big two is not 
real high. Like I usually have to be, I usually have to be shown something that's uh, fairly interesting to even get my attention. And Invincible was the last really big, and uh, we'll call it independent, but I don't know if image really counts as that anymore. Um, the last really big like independent thing I read was Invincible, um, and that was really good. And this is really good too. So, you know, maybe this will get a cartoon made out of it someday that everyone will love. Um, okay, so into the land of X for this week. Uh, what I'm going to do, because a lot of the, the Hellfire Gala issues are, are generally just a lot of talking and, like, story setup. So I'm just going to bring up the relevant points for each one rather than trying to do a, a rundown of each one per se. Um, because I think that would be kind of boring. It's just me recounting dialogue scenes. Um, so we'll start with, and you know, these are supposed to be read in some sort of order that the list at the back tells you the order to read them in. Um, but I don't necessarily think for reviewing purposes that that's all that important because a lot of them are just different angles and the same thing. So we'll start with Children of the Atom 4, which is not that, um... Turns out these kids that are, you know, trying to be X-Men groupies. Um, I'm not really enjoying how this is being presented. Like, a lot of it's really out of, like, it's intentionally out of chronological order. But it's in such a way that I don't want to say I'm confused. I mean, all this stuff is meant to be simple in terms of reading, I guess. But it's just presented in a way that, like, maybe it'll read better when it's traded. But I'm I'm reading it month to month, and like in this issue, I, they bring up things that happened like two issues back. But you're trying to figure out like chronologically where was that in relation to this. Um, so I'm beginning to think that um, it's obvious these kids are not mutants. They've pretty much given you that by now, and um, I'm beginning to think that that spaceship they were in in the last issue, maybe that was the last issue now, I don't even remember anymore, um, this spaceship they were in was just something they kind of randomly found themselves in, like, they stumbled across it, and then maybe that's where they got all, I'm guessing all of their powers come from tech, because I don't think any of them are mutants, um, and maybe this spaceship is where they got the, the tech that gives them their powers and stuff, perhaps, um, but they are trying to, they want to try to get into the Hellfire Gala, but they know that they are not mutants, so they can't just go through the gates because it won't work. Um, so they have uh, like a like an inadvertent tissue sample from a friend of theirs who they think might be a mutant, so they use that. It'll get them through the gates, I guess, is what they believe. Um whether it does that or not, I no, will do that or not, I have no idea. Um, and then in the course of going, trying to go and do that, they get captured by some sort of, looks like a terrorist group or something. I don't think the group is ever named, but it's not like there's not enough anti-mutant groups and weird suits of armor in the Marvel Universe these days, because they're everywhere. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they... And the, the kids call in the X-Men for help because they're pretty much screwed. Um, and that's where that issue ends, right when the X-Men team shows up to bail them out. Um, and then you have uh, Excalibur 21, written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe. Um, the real important things here are that uh, the United Kingdom has stepped away from the, basically the way the whole Krakoa thing works is that, you know, the the terms they set out at the beginning of it in terms of dealing with the rest of the world were if you're, if you're a, a nation and you acknowledge Krakoa, you kind of like acknowledge Krakoa as the mutant nation, then they will give other countries access to like the medication that they have there that works wonders for people's lifespans and stuff, and can cure all diseases and things, uh, but England decides to uh, step away from that, um, and I assume that we'll have uh, 
future repercussions for um, the Excalibur team and all that kind of thing. There already have been some in that the the lighthouse that they are based out of is on English soil, and the English government basically wants it removed. So I'm sure that will lead to some um, conflict down the road there. Uh, next up, we have New Mutants 19, um, written by... Let me see if I can't find that somewhere. Uh, my tablet's acting up right now. Uh... New Mutants 19, written by Vita Ayala, with art by somebody whose name I don't know. Um, let me see if I can't find that. Art by Alex Linz. Um, I can say conclusively, at least for me, that literally nothing happens in this issue. There's some dialogue with, like, character interaction and stuff, but none of those things are, um, seem to be important enough to even list here, so I'm just gonna blow right over this one, uh, just because there was literally nothing of, that seemed to be of any sort of importance in this issue, and I don't want to waste your time with something that didn't even really register for me, um, then we have uh, the planet si the planet sized X Men one shot, uh, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. I'm gonna this will be this is a pretty big book. It was like forty fifty pages maybe. I know the price point was pretty high on this one, so uh, I'm gonna get this down to a one sentence review because that's basically all it is. Uh, a bunch of the X Men uh, colonized Mars in order to give the Erico mutants from the Ten of Swords event, uh, and that Erico island was deposited next to next to Kokoa, basically, and they decided, I guess, through an arrangement with those people, to uh, colonize Mars and stick them on it. So they're now living on Mars. I'm guessing that will have uh, repercussions with world governments later. Uh, obviously, it's too recent to really see what any of those things would be, um, but I'm sure that will play into the X-Men line as a whole, uh, later. I know Jerry Duggan is writing the new volume of X-Men's coming out of this, um, so, yeah. Uh, next up we have X-Men 21, with, written by Jonathan Hickman, as he has written this entire volume and art by let me see here art by someone whose name I don't know again let me find the the credits page here wow this is pretty far in um Art by Nick Dragata, Russell Donnerman, Lucas Burnick, and Sarah Pacelli. That's a lot of artists for a 20-page book. Okay. So um, this basically has two things of value in it. Uh, Xavier and, and Magneto make an offer to Namor to put him on the Krakoan government council thing. And he says, uh, no. Because, <laughs> like... I rule 70% of the world right now, so uh, let me know when you have an offer of something that's worth my time. Um, and then he leaves, I believe. So he's at, the, at this gathering as well. Again, uh, don't understand why this is being tolerated since, you know, he's a pretty big villain in Aaron's run right now on the Avengers, so I'm not sure why, like, the Fantastic Four and the X-Men are just looking at him like, okay, I guess there's nothing wrong with you right now. Um, the other big step here is that the new team of X-Men has been unveiled. Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Rogue, Sunfire, uh, 
sync from generation X, um, Polaris, and Laura Kenny Wolverine. So these will be the, it seems to me like these will be the, the focus characters in the new volume coming out written by Jerry Duggan. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, you know, what, I know Hickman's got some other books coming that he's planning on writing, uh, in this line. Like he is by no means done with all this, What whatever the end point of this is going to end up being. Um, so I'm interested to see where the next volume of this series goes. I'm kind of surprised they would relaunch this again this quickly and that Duggan wouldn't just take over with 22, but that's their prerogative, I suppose. And as other people have, have said in the past, I think uh, Stephen Becker might have said this on one of our comic-related shows that new number ones sell better, so they probably just make it very easy to do that. Just because they want they want to get that sales bump from that. And our last book of the week is X Corp number two, written by I don't remember who this was written by actually. Um, let me just open that up. Come on, machine. Uh, oh, this is also Teeny Howard with art by Alberto Fauché. Um, this is more of the the uh, business end of the X-World, where um, Orne Worthington and Monet St. Croix are trying to like establish this board of directors for, um, for this corporation that's going to run the business interests of uh, Krakoa. And... Um, they're kind of hobnobbing at this gala thing, and uh, Madrox is there. He's kind of associated with this group. I don't know if he's technically on this board yet or not, but he's trying to figure out, like, they offered him a position on said board and won't really tell him what the position would entail, and he's kind of busy being a lab rat. I guess he went and got a doctorate, and he's doing a bunch of science work now. Um so he's trying to get out of them. Like, what would this involve? And, like, I'm not sure it's worth pulling myself away from what I'm already doing to do this. Um, so Monet and, and Warren take a bunch of meetings with um, other people that have been recommended to them for this board, and none of those seem to go particularly well. Um, and then... Uh, they have a run-in with uh, the Fenris twins, who try to, who try to take over the floating X Corp headquarters, um, and then uh, Mastermind Jason Wingard, who is somebody they had interviewed for one of the board positions, uh, ends up helping them with his illusion powers, uh, trick the Fenris twins so they can be stopped. Um, so I think this is just kind of setting up, you know moving people into certain positions on the board of this company group that they're going to run with in this book. And maybe after that, we'll start to see what the, what kind of things this book actually does once it has its characters set up. Apparently they still have uh, two more positions on the board of directors that they need to fill. They've given one to Wingard and uh, Angel and Monet are, two of the five and then the third one is Wingard. So then the one of these text charts in this book and these this X line has done a lot of these things with text and graphics and stuff show that it's a five person board and two of the positions haven't been filled yet. So um that covers the Hellfire Gala stuff for this week. If you go by the the chart thingy, um it looks like in the next week or two, we will see uh, the Wolverine, Sword, Way of X, X-Factor, and Cable installments in this thing. Um, so, I really, this as a thing hasn't really done that much for me. I know that it's supposed to set up the um, that Trial of Magneto thing that they're going to do in August, I think it is. Um and that something that happens in here will be the inciting event for that, and that's fine. I just don't know if it needed to be 
if every single book in the line had to be tied into this, because uh, most of them aren't really doing that much, and it's kind of silly. But, you know, I largely still enjoy this line, but this is this whole single-month event thing has been the first real blip I've had in here, where I've kind of been like, why am I reading this? Um, so, yeah, that's our books for this week. Um, in other news, I just found out that, um, Batman Superman by Jean Liu and Yang is being canceled with issue 22, so, um, that crappy parallel universe storyline thing pretty much killed this book, looks like. I mean, I don't know what the sales numbers were before this, so maybe it didn't, but, uh, seems to me like it did. It took a massive dive quality-wise with Jean Liu and Yang, so... I'm going to put it on him. Uh, and our books for next week are uh, Action Comics 1032, Amazing Spider-Man 69, Batman Superman 19, Detective Comics 1038, Fantastic Four Life Story number 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 15, Heroes Return, Infinite Frontier number 1, Justice League 63, Robin number 3, Sword number 6, let's see, do we have anything else? Uh, yeah, apparently we do. Um, Superman 32, Teen Titans Academy number 4, Way of X number 3, Wolverine number 13, and X-Men Legends number 4. So next week's going to be another big week. I will try to actually um, do this one around release time instead of taking a week in between. Um, okay, so thank you for joining me, everyone. And this was probably a slightly longer show, but with two weeks worth of books, it's probably unavoidable. Um, not sure exactly what we have coming up in the next few weeks, so just watch the feed, and we'll definitely keep content coming when we when we can thanks